Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovich and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome back to The Conscious Clinician, everyone. Today, we're going to be continuing with part two of the Soap Note series. Our question today is, how do we perform a conscious clinical exam? Sammy, big question. What are your initial thoughts? First thought that comes up with an exam is consent. I think before we ever perform an exam, lay our hands on a patient, We need to make sure that the patient's comfortable with what we're about to do. I think that's something that we don't get emphasized enough to us in our training. And when I talk about consent, we're thinking about enthusiastic consent, first of all, and then also ongoing consent. So I'm going to give an example in a pelvic health context because that's my background, my training. But it's not enough for me to tell a patient that I'd like to do an internal exam on you today to help me figure out what's going on with your pelvic floor problem. Are you okay with that? The first thing that I need to do is explain what that exam might entail, what the alternate options would be so they have a choice in which option they'd like to opt into. And then as I'm going through that exam, if I've already gotten consent from them once, I still need to be checking in with them. So if I'm going to touch a new area on their body, okay, next I'd like to touch this part of your body. Next I'd like to do this. Next I'd like to do this. Is that okay with you throughout the process? Because I think it's so easy for us to ask that initial consent. Can I touch you? Can I do this exam? Can I do this? But then blow through the exam so quickly that you're leaving the patient feeling a little bit jarred with each new spot that you're working on. I think that it's really important not to surprise a patient with an area that you're touching them in. If you see a patient jump, you probably miss the mark a little bit. So that would be my first tip for an objective exam is when you want to build strong rapport with your patients and help them feel comfortable with you and being in your care, first we got to have that that piece of consent. If you want to have more information on the consent process, we talk a ton about it with Christina Holland in episode eight. So go and check that episode out. But I think that's a total prerequisite to everything else that we're about to talk about. Absolutely. I love that so much. And Christina is such an amazing advocate for ongoing enthusiastic consent. We got those words from her. So crediting her, go back and listen to that one, which kind of ties into the next tip that we thought of for the exam. And that's shifting our paradigm a little bit in terms of what we're trying to accomplish with an exam. In PT school, I learned that the exam is there for me as a provider Mm. to learn about the patient's body, to understand what tissues are implicated, what anatomical changes are there, postural strength, mobility, movement dysfunctions exist, and understand how I may be able to best treat them. So notice that I, as the provider, am completely centered in this type of exam. And this exam is still useful. I do need to learn about the tissues. I do want to formulate a treatment plan with it in mind, but also with the patient in mind. 
because what we've learned is that the patient actually is learning during the exam as well. Everything that we do as providers during the exam process is teaching the patient something about their body. And it took me so many years to realize that that was happening because I just really thought the exam was for me and then I was supposed to translate the exam findings to the patient. But I started to realize this when I noticed that patients would quote back things that I had told them during the exam to me in follow-up sessions. Mm -hmm. And they would be like, well, you mentioned that my glutes aren't turning on. So if my glutes are off, how am I supposed to run? Like that's one example. And I realized that they were internalizing the information about their body that I was giving them during the exam that I didn't even realize I was giving them. Yeah. They're picking up on your reactions to things so much. Like they're hearing you go, oh, that's really tight. Oh, that's really weak. Oh, this and that. And they pick up on those things so much more than we give them credit for, I think. Absolutely. So the tips here are hopefully going to help you teach the patient things about their body that are more empowering. So the first one is watching our language. You just said it. Those little comments that we give along the way, cut all of those out. No more comments. Avoid the wows. Oh, good. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. weak. That's tight. Get rid of all of those comments. And it might feel like you're not saying much during the exam, but that's good. You are not there to comment on their body. You are there to explain what's going to happen next and to give them some context for it if it makes sense in that moment, if it makes sense to do education. What do I mean by that? I mean, if they are moving and something hurts, this is a great time to say, why don't you try that again and go slower? Or what if you don't go as far? How does that feel then? Those types of comments are starting to teach the patient to explore their pain. Mm -hmm. That's great. Me telling them, oh, gosh, that is so weak or, oh, wow, yeah, that feels really tight. You know, no wonder you have pain. Yeah. Those are completely different messages, right? I think it's super important to filter what we're telling our patients. So if you're talking a lot throughout the exam, you're telling them everything you find as you find it and kind of narrating, they're picking up on those things and you may be telling them things that aren't really relevant and they don't have the context to understand what that means. So if somebody has an MMT that's a four minus versus a four plus, they're hearing all these numbers and saying, oh, well, this number is lower than the other number. What does that mean? And they're internalizing a lot of those messages. It's so much more helpful to just go through your exam, keep your thoughts to yourself, and then summarize it in a patient-friendly way at the end so that they get the message that you are hoping that they will get versus some message that they're, they're getting that you may not even be intending to give them. So I'm all about, like you said, just kind of shut up during the exam. Like, try not to narrate. Try not to comment too much. It's okay to chat a little bit or, okay, next I'm going to measure this thing. And I always tell my patients, you know, I'm taking lots of measurements and I'm going to give you the full picture once I'm all done and I understand better what's going on with you. And that way I'm not just feeding them a ton of stuff in the middle, but instead I'm summing it up for them in a nice, neat way that they can understand after we're all done. 
I love that phrase. I'm totally going to steal that from you. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) So the other thing that we've really talked about in episode 12 is monitoring our language and making sure that we're not using nocebic language all the time because preparing people for pain means that they are more likely to experience Mm -hmm. pain. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. Go back to episode 12. But one quick tip is to stop saying this is going to hurt a little bit and instead say, how did that feel? Yeah. Or did that change how you feel? So notice we're not putting the word pain in there. We're using the word feel. So maybe they can use words like sore or tight or pressure instead of describing everything as pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so many different definitions of pain too, right? Sometimes people interpret a strong hamstring stretch as pain because they're not used to it. And then when you further clarify it, is this your familiar pain or is this just a stretch? They'll go, oh, well, I guess it's more of a stretch. So I think it's important to be careful about how you're asking about their symptoms too and say, instead of did that hurt, ask did that bring on the symptoms that you came in today for? Or did that bring on your familiar symptom? Or did that change your symptoms? I think that it's important not to frame the entire exam around pain. You know, sometimes I'll even ask, like, did that feel better, worse, or same? It's kind of a neutral thing, like they have some options. And I think that if we present the option of, oh, maybe this could actually feel better too, Because if we're always asking about pain, did that hurt? Did this hurt? Did that hurt? They're thinking, is it supposed to hurt? Oh, well, yeah, now now I'm noticing a little bit of something. And it kind of puts that in their mind versus if you're asking them about a change or a better, worse, or same, they have a menu of options to choose from. And they might say something like, oh, it feels kind of neutral or actually it does feel a little better when I move this way. And that's actually much more valuable information and not as scary to the patient, in my opinion. Yes, completely agree with that, Sammy. And that segues into the last tip here, which is to remind them that your goal is not to cause more pain. Some PTs out there still really embrace that I'm a physical torturer kind of mentality, no pain, no gain. So I love to always tell them my goal is not to send you out of here in 10 out of 10 pain. My goal is to understand what's going on, to start to give you tips or exercises to work with. My new motto is a little pain, lots of gain, because I'm trying to get people to be comfortable with lower amounts of pain levels and understand that it's still okay to work with that. I've been trying it for the last few weeks and people have really been liking it. They've been laughing and kind of like, okay, I can get on board with that. Yeah. And I think that the neutral responses that you were talking about too, the not reacting to the patient's pain. When, when we don't freak out in the face of a patient's pain, so if somebody bends forward to touch their toes and their back hurts and we don't lose our minds about it, go, oh my gosh, okay, stand back up, don't, don't push into that. If we just go, oh, okay, so that, that hurt, okay, all, all of a sudden the patient kind of learns. Uh, yeah, they it's, like, learn a de- that it's, it's okay. like a de-escalation almost. Like they, all of a sudden they go, oh, well, it hurt, but my PT didn't freak out about it, so it must be fine. And I found that the exams are a lot calmer when I don't react. And I'm just like, oh, okay, so that that caused pain. Thanks for letting me know. And then I just move on. Or like you say, trying something a little bit different. Well, what if you tried it like this? How does that feel now? And I think 
those kind of approaches where we're not reacting, not freaking out, is going to help our patients, like you say, feel more comfortable and sit with their pain and work through it a little bit and not avoid it. Because if we always react with a, oh no, we have to stop the pain right now, all of a sudden pain becomes unacceptable, something they can't work through, they can't push through any discomfort to experiment with it, and it becomes a lot scarier. So I think that our phrasing and how we react to exam findings when somebody reports a symptom is huge too. Like we got to watch our facial expressions. We got to watch what we're saying and stay grounded. Yeah. And for grounding techniques, go back to episode 10. We talked about grounding for patients. If they are in overdrive, if they're highly stimulated when they're already in the session, there's some things you can do with them. And there's also tips for you as the provider, because Sammy, I've had that anxious patient and I notice as they get more anxious, my anxiety starts to rise and (laughs) then they get more anxious and then my anxiety starts to rise. And You know, as an empathetic person, I have to learn how to be able to acknowledge their pain without taking on their pain and their anxiety. So episode 10, great one for tips on how you can regulate yourself. There's also some information about that in episode eight with Christina Holland. So again, go back, take a listen. Awesome. We've talked a lot about ways to help our patients feel more comfortable during the exam. But I think there's still an elephant in the room of when we have these exam measures that we take patients through, a lot of times we have this focus of we're doing the measurements for us as PTs and the patient's not really a part of the process. So I think another key point to bring up here is if we want to have a more patient-centered exam, how can we provide measurements in our exam, that's something that the patient can be engaged and involved in and also track themselves. Because if there's something that your PT has to measure on you, like if there's a symptom where a great example for me is like pelvic alignment. If you think that your pelvis is misaligned and you're not really quite sure how to determine if you're out of alignment and you have to rely on going to your PT to get checked if you're in alignment and then having them fix you if you are indeed out of alignment, that's a process that you are completely reliant on your provider for. And you can't track that yourself. But what if we had measures in our exam that were easily observable and trackable by the patient, where we shared with them, you know, a measure of progress for you as we go through treatment could be how far forward can you go to touch your toes? Like you can literally see how far away your fingertips are getting from your toes. That's a great measure of your progress with your flexibility and your tolerance to these symptoms. That's something that you can keep an eye on yourself. And that might be something we share with them at the end of the exam versus this kind of vague, like, you have to come back to me to monitor you kind of thing. Sammy, yes to everything you just said, because I'm sitting here and I can so clearly remember during residency, I'm in a room with a patient and I ask them, so how would you rate your progress? How do you think you're doing? And this person looked at me and said, I don't know, you tell me. And I was like, uh, what? And I'm like, well, how do you think you're doing? And they said, well, I don't know. I mean, you're the one assessing things and, you know, you're tell me about my tone and all these other things. And I just realized, oh, my God, they don't know that 
I'm trying to track their pain and their function and they're tied on these impairments that I have been going through with them. You know, the biofeedback assessment and all these other tools. And those were all tools in my tool belt. But the message the patient got is that those were the ways that we track their progress. Yeah. And, you know, your tone and how it reads on biofeedback does not exactly correlate with how you perform in real life. But here they are thinking that I hold all the answers and all the keys. And that was such an important moment that really shook me. And I had to try to figure out how do I perform an exam where a person understands what's going on in their body. And it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And I think the question that I would want all of us to ask ourselves is what's the focus of the exam? And I didn't learn this in PT school either, Sammy, but the focus can be different for every patient. Yeah. Like I thought it was always for me to gather the information. And what I'm learning now is that sometimes the focus of the exam is actually to start treatment right away. If it's someone who's really fear avoidant and catastrophizes, then I'm less focused on what the tissue measures are. And I'm more focused on teaching them to move comfortably with my exam. So I ask those questions of what if you don't go as far? What if you repeat that? What if you hold it? And I start giving them clues based on what I think might help, but I frame it in the form of an action for them to try. There's other people where absolutely I feel like I need to do a tissue-focused, very clinical exam because they've got something suspect going on. You know, when they've got symptoms that do not make sense, then my exam might very well be to do a neurological screen and make sure that those tissues are intact to rule out red flag findings. So it's never a one-track exam. I'm finding it's Mm -hmm. always different based on that person. Maybe it's reproducing their pain, teaching them something different about their pain, making sure your exam is intense enough to reproduce their symptoms, especially if they're high level. That was very challenging for me early on. You know, I had the bridge, (laughs) I had the single leg squat. I mean, I didn't have a lot of things to reproduce a high level athlete's pain. And it took me quite a while to learn how to do that. So if you're finding people who are athletic, if you're finding that you don't reproduce their chief complaint, you've got to do something harder with them. So with all of those options in mind, that is not an inclusive list. There's probably other things that you want to do in your exam. And there may be multiple things you want to do in your exam. I just urge you to ask yourself, what does this patient need to help them on their journey And I'm going to plug episode two, The Mountain Metaphor, and episode four, The Fixer, because if you're wondering what to do in the exam, you might want to consider what you want to do for them in the exam. Are you trying Mm. to fix them? Are you trying to guide them? And if you're trying to guide them versus fix them, you're going to do two very different things. You're going to ask very different questions. So go back to those if you want some more food for thought. Yeah. That patient that you described, I've had some people like that too, where 
we go through treatment and I'm trying to ask them questions like, how are you feeling? How do you feel like this is going for you? And they're so wrapped up in their performance of trying to meet what they think I want them to do, of performing well on the biofeedback, of performing well with the internal exam, that they've kind of lost the point of they're trying to come in to address a symptom that they're having that they were able to track before, but now you hold all the answers. And so I kind of think about it in terms of the mountain metaphor, like this person initially came in with the goal of hiking some summit and along the way you guys have gotten off on some other areas and now you're like at a lake and the person finally is there and they're like, I didn't really want to go to this lake, but now you've kind of guided me here and it's just, you've missed the point. Like you're in a totally different place than you want to be. And the point is to help them symptomatically. That's what they're coming in to you for. And if we make it all about these measures that they can't see, can't track, are not a part of, they're not going to be engaged in their care either. And that's the person that's going to keep coming back. They're never going to leave because they never know if they're done. They don't have the confidence to monitor their body. Like, you know, those patients you get stuck with forever, like they will not get off of your caseload. I'm starting to realize that some of those people lack the self-efficacy based off of some things that I've done with them to know when they're better. And then they just keep showing up and you're like, I thought we were done. Like, <laughs> what the heck? You keep you keep showing up on my schedule and I don't understand what else we can do together. But they're there for reassurance because now they don't have the confidence in their own body. Yeah, because they've been taught that somebody else holds the answers. That is a really profound and humbling statement for us to sit with, Sammy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So we've talked a lot about how we can make the exam a better experience for our patients. And now I'd like to move on as well to talk about how we can communicate with our patients as providers and get better information for us too. Because Mm. a lot of the ways that we present our instructions, perform our exam, can actually skew the way that the patient responds to the exam and actually give us some muddy water, so to speak. So Next, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about how we can be more clear from a patient communication side of things during the exam. Yeah, one of the ways that we can be more clear is to make sure that we understand that focus of the exam. What are we trying to accomplish today? Are we trying to reproduce their pain? Are we trying to teach them something about their body, improve their efficacy, do we really need to remeasure or get the baseline for their mobility, their range of motion, et cetera? It will be different for every person. So I would start there is tailoring what needs to happen for their best outcomes. That means you have to go back to your subjective and you have to pick up on things like their perceived level of self-efficacy, their goal. I mean, I think of it like their goal is what they want to build, you know, and your exam is going to give the blueprint for how to build that thing. So if you don't really understand what they're trying to build, you're going to make a blueprint that probably doesn't match up with what they're hoping to get. Yep. So essentially I'm saying you can't have a great exam if you didn't have a good history. 100%. 
I've got a couple of patient examples I think will illustrate this point pretty well, which is you get a patient who first comes in and they're highly fear avoidant. They're telling you, every time I move, my back hurts. I'm in so much pain all the time. I can't do anything. I'm having to lay down multiple times per day as soon as I get this pain because I'm so afraid that if I push through it, I'm just going to be disabled. That's the type of person who in the exam, I'm going to titrate the intensity of my exam to try to keep that patient comfortable and encourage them to move in a way that doesn't feel scary and fearful to them. So that's the person I'm going to go a little slower with. I'm going to be saying things like, okay, so that was painful. How about if we try it this way? What about this? What about that? And encouraging them to just play with the movements a little bit and experiment through them versus somebody who comes in who is not fear avoidant at all. They've had pain for a while. They tell you things like, well, you know, I had this pain and it's pretty mild. I'm trying to just work through it. I go on walks when I have pain and it seems like it helps a little bit, but it still seems like it's lingering around. So I just want to get some exercises to help me get through the last of my pain. That's somebody I'm going to be a little more aggressive with in my exam. I want to push them a little bit more. Maybe they're an athlete and I want to get them to a point where they're actually experiencing a little bit of that pain so I can know where it's coming from. That's somebody who I can look at and say, the intensity of this exam, I can titrate a little higher. I can push them a little bit more. I don't have to be as cautious in the movements I take them through because they're already not super fear avoidant. So I think that we can use our subjective history, the way that they present, the things that they're telling you are going to be huge in determining how far to go in the exam. And I think we, we naturally do this a little bit already. If you have someone who's really, really distressed about their pain, super flared up, you're probably not going to be doing a super vigorous exam on them. But I think it's important to be mindful about how we approach the exam with this vigor. So for example, if you're phrasing a question like bend forward and touch your toes, for my higher level athlete who's in, you know, not super high pain, I might just have them go as far as they can. For that patient who is really, really irritable and scared, I might tell them bend forward as far as you can, stop when you feel like you need to. And then I might ask them things like, Okay, so you stopped when your hands reached your knees. What was it that made you stop? Tightness, pain, something else? And that, I think, is, is going to be an important distinction about how you phrase questions and directions to get the information that you're actually looking for. So you segued there into asking direct questions and mm-hmm. getting the information that you need during your exam as well. The questions do not stop during the subjective. We need follow-up questions during our exam as well. And it's best to be direct with what you want. So I found the more I over-explain a movement, the more confused my patient becomes plain and simple, you know, do a squat versus giving them five instructions for the perfect squat. I want to see what they come up with first. Mm -hmm. And then I might have them try something new, but be direct, be succinct and ask your follow-ups so that when you leave the exam, you know why they stopped something. I think that's what you were really explaining well there, Sammy, is that if they stop at their knees is that a mobility deficit 
Is that a pain deficit? Is that just fear? I mean, we don't know unless we ask follow-up questions. So make sure that you're asking follow-ups in your exam. Yep. So I think that's it. So there you have it. Those are the tips that we found helpful in our clinical practice to start to develop a more patient-centered exam, to start to question why we're doing certain things, and perform a more conscious clinical exam. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Check back in next week when we talk about the assessment portion. Stay conscious, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at The Conscious Clinician and Facebook backslash The Conscious Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and write a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious, everyone.